looking at the Gospel of Luke for the parable that we'll be uh, studying. And we're going to be reading Luke 17, verses 1 through 10. And he said to his disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day, and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith, and the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank, does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. This is the word of the Lord. Recent studies reveal an interesting, what you could call, polarity or dichotomy which characterizes people in the United States. As we become more affluent, as we accumulate more resources, as technology becomes more advanced, people in the United States are less happy and satisfied in life. Does that surprise you? As we become more affluent, as we have more resources, as technology becomes better, yet the people are less happy. How can that be? I think it's fair for us to speculate that it has to do with our attitude, with our perspective. You can have tremendous pleasures and possessions in life. You can receive all sorts of praise and promotion 
and still not experience joy in your life. It comes down to understanding what ultimately gives joy and purpose, even delight in life. And what we discover is it's not what we have, but it's who we are as servants of Jesus Christ. It's knowing that our ultimate home is with Christ, not this world. And that's essential for us to find lasting peace and hope in life. Now, the parable that we're looking at this morning is like a hidden gem that could easily be passed by. In fact, it is a parable that often is kind of set to the side. It doesn't readily come to mind if we're asked to identify some parables that we're familiar with. In fact, I preached a whole series of messages on the parables several years ago. And recently, as I was looking back at that series, I realized that I didn't include this parable of the unworthy servants. I guess for some reason it didn't capture my attention as I was planning the series. I discovered something else. It often isn't included in the most respected commentaries or books that give a detailed study of the parables. The only thing I can think of is perhaps from the perspective of the commentators and the authors, it doesn't quite fit into the themes or the categories that they want to use to describe the parable. Perhaps its lack of popularity is tied to the fact that Luke is the only gospel that contains this particular parable. So, it's not a common one, yet its message is striking. We need to remember the context. Jesus is on his final journey to Jerusalem. And so his mind is focused on teaching his disciples the true important aspects of being a Christian witness and also showing that you're a Christian through your behavior. In other words, Jesus wants his disciples to display to the world the characteristics of those who are members of his kingdom. Now, he does it in several ways. First of all, in verses 1 through 3, Jesus warns his disciples that they would be tempted to sin. He reminds them that those who follow Christ should fight against that temptation to sin. And he even gives the consequences of causing another person to stumble into sin. And actually, that description is quite graphic. In verse 2, it says a heavy millstone would be hung around the person's neck, and that person would be thrown into the sea. So Jesus urges them, in the first part of verse 3, to guard themselves lest they lead another person into sin. We see then secondly in verses 3 and 4 that Jesus teaches his disciples the importance of forgiving. 
He urges his disciples to not be afraid, first of all, of confronting someone who is sinning so that that person would repent. And when that person does, to forgive him. Can you imagine the disciples trying to wrap their minds around that? Jesus tells them that they are to be visible displays of God's grace. If necessary, they are even to repeatedly forgive a repentant sinner. I think of the lyrics to a song. They will know that we are Christians by our love. Finally, in verses 5 and 6, the disciples are overwhelmed. They're, they're thinking, how can we do this? What incredible demands. And they asked Jesus to increase their faith so that they would be able to accomplish these important tasks. The response of Jesus is quite amazing. He reminds his disciples that it's a quality of faith that matters and not the quantity of faith. He says even a little faith is able to accomplish much in God's kingdom. So all of that leads us to our main text, verses 7 through 10. Here Jesus shares a parable to emphasize the need for his disciples to show true humility. In demonstrating God's love to others, in putting their faith into action, they need to put God first. It reminds me of question and answer one of the Heidelberg Catechism. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own is the answer, but I belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. My identity is in Christ. And yet Jesus knows humanity's tendency to expect rewards when they're obedient. He knows that when we carry out our responsibilities, we assume a return on our investment of time and effort. He knows that if we work extra hard, we think that somehow we deserve special re recognition, maybe employee of the month, or the most hardworking student, or the best boss, or the most improved player. Often we see life as a balance. It's a scale in which our diligent work results then in recognition and affirmation so that the scale is balanced. Now, the problem occurs when we take that attitude, which we are used to in our culture, and then pro project it upon God. Just think about it. How often don't you hear statements like this? Now, what did I do to deserve this? Or, after all that I have done for God, why did this happen to me? Or, I pray to God every night. I pray over and over. I bring my request to him. 
and why doesn't he hear me? Do you see the problem with that way of thinking, with that mentality? If you read between the lines, that perspective suggests that somehow God owes us good things in life. And you know what? It's not about you. And it's not about me. God owes us nothing. But we owe him everything. Jesus did not want his disciples to think that through their own effort and actions, somehow they earned or merited a special divine favor. His desire is to remind them that their acts of obedience are merely a reflection of who they are in Christ, of their position as servants. And so the parable focuses on the theme of being a servant. The Greek word is doulos. It actually can be interpreted as a slave. And in this case, probably the one single slave of a small farmer. Now just very quickly a little bit about this time in history, the Roman Empire, first century. Slavery was a fact of life. Many of the wealthy people owned slaves. As I was looking and researching, I discovered that there were different ways that a person became a slave. One was to be born from parents who were slaves. Another way was to be purchased as a slave. Or if they failed to pay a debt, they would then become a slave in order to pay it off. They would be a slave if they were a prisoner of war. Or, believe it or not, they could be a slave if they sold themselves. One commentator writes, though it may seem strange to us, a number of people would sell themselves into slavery, quote, to enter a life that was easier and more secure than existing as a poor person, end quote. As we look at the servant who's mentioned in our text, we see the different responsibilities that are given. Jesus presents this parable in the form of three questions that are then followed by a summary statement. So we're going to first look at those three questions. We, we could call them rhetorical questions. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, Come at once and recline at table. Now the assumed answer is no. Of course not. We would not say that. In fact, in the ancient world, it was unthinkable for a servant to sit and to eat alongside of his master. The job of the servant, his actual existence, his purpose was to serve his master. So, no. 
The second question is found in verse 8. Will he, referring to the master, not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you will eat and drink? Now here the assumed answer is yes, of course. A servant first attends to the needs of the master. That comes first and foremost. And then later, he's able to care for himself. Then we get to verse 9. There's a third question. Does he, meaning again the master, thank the servant because he, the servant, did what was commanded? Again, the answer is no. A servant does not expect recognition and praise. He should just do his job. Then this statement in verse 10 summarizes the point that Jesus is making. He says, so you also, when you have done all that has been commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. So here Jesus is switching from the parable, this hypothetical situation, to the reality of his disciples who were there before him. And his point is that even if a servant excels in serving, he is still doing what he should be doing. And the master doesn't owe him anything. No matter how obedient his disciples are, no matter how much they go above and beyond the call of obedience, they're simply, do, simply doing what Jesus commands them to do. Now the same thing applies to you and to me. Again, our natural desire is to receive recognition and attention. We want to be recognized. And because of that, Jesus, our master, accomplishes what we are not able to do. Jesus does what a master never does. He himself became a servant for us and our salvation. In Philippians 2, the Apostle Paul says, Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. It is only by the grace of God that we as disciples of Jesus Christ are able to serve. I like what Martin Luther said in one of his sermons. He says, the heart is always ready to boast of itself before God and to say, after all, I've preached so long. I've lived so well, 
I've done so much good. Surely he will take this into account. But when you come before God, leave all of that boasting at home and appeal from justice to grace that I might surrender myself completely to God. So when we put God first, duty changes into delight. The psalmist says in Psalm 40, verse 8, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is in my heart. Paul writes in Romans 7, verse 22, For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. There's no greater joy, no greater sense of satisfaction than having a close fellowship with God. That's why Jesus is teaching this parable. Being a servant of the master is reward enough. It compels us to want to serve him and work all day for him. We look for new and creative ways to, to express our thankfulness, our gratitude for simply belonging to him. Lloyd John Ogilvy writes, the parable of the unworthy servant stands as a constant reminder that there are duties, obligations, and responsibilities to being a Christian. However much we do, we're never finished. But our unfinished tasks are to be faced in gratitude for the finished gift of Calvary. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul writes, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised again. Receiving praise and recognition is not what brings true joy and delight in our lives. Joy and delight comes because of what Jesus Christ has done for you and for me on the cross. And that gives us joy as we serve him. That's what transforms what was a duty into delight. And we can have that even when life threatens to be dark and dismal, when there appears to be no hope. There's a rather new song by Katie Nicole, Just Hold On. I'm just going to read a few of the lyrics. Smoke clouds all around, couldn't see your face. Darkness consumed me, stuck in the bitterness. But I know there's a light that's waiting up ahead. So I'll stay in the fight and look to the one who said, hold on just a little bit longer. I know it's going to be okay. These days are going to make you stronger. You'll find purpose 
in the pain. Hold on just a little bit longer. Deep down, there's a well of faith. Let hope arise as you're lifting up my name. And just hold on. It comes down to understanding what ultimately gives joy and purpose and delight in our lives. It's not what we have, but it's who we are as servants of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's knowing that our ultimate home is with Christ, not in this world. That's essential to find lasting peace and hope in life. Let's join together in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we confess that often we enjoy the recognition or the praise. And sometimes because of that, it enters into our perspective in our relationship with you. Somehow we think that you owe us to balance the scales. But Lord, we owe you everything. As we seek to be servants of our Lord and Savior, help us to experience the true joy and delight of being able to be obedient, not just because it's a command, but because it is what we do to show your love to others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.